0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If it's the weekend, it's time to have fun with your pet. But when it comes to technology, apps, and what's hot, you don't want to waste money or waste your or your pet's time. Welcome to Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. In today's show, Lorian and her guests will keep you in the know to keep your pet happy as well as you and your family. Now here's your host, Lorian Clemens.
1: Happy Saturday, pet lovers. Welcome to Pet Lover Geek. We are so glad that you're going to be spending the next hour with us. Today, we're going to focus on pet identification. Now, if you listen to the show very often, you know that this is a particular passion of mine, and I am so excited to get to devote an entire show to this topic because it is just that important. Now, you may actually see a lot of information in the next week coming through your social media feeds uh, about pet identification, and the reason is is because next week is National Pet ID Week. Why do we have an entire week devoted to talking about pet IDs? Well, because my dear listeners, one in three pets will go missing in their lifetime. And the best way to make sure that they get home safe and sound is through identification. Now, there's several other several different ways that you can properly identify your pet, and we're going to talk about all of them today. But let's start with microchips, and for that conversation, I have invited Dr. Heather Linzer the Veterinary Advisor, Public and Professional Affairs uh, from the American Animal Hospital Association onto the show to talk with us today. Welcome to Pet Lover Geek.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I like to be in the company of fellow geeks, that's for sure. Oh, good.
1: Fantastic. Well, you are in good company then, uh, Dr. Heather. Uh, So let's start uh, with telling everybody, what exactly is the American Animal Hospital Association? I always call it AHA quite a mouthful. (laughs) But why is it important to pet
2: owners? Well, the American Animal Hospital Association accredits veterinary hospitals. And most pet owners, like, they tune out as soon as they say that. But I need them to not because most people think that uh, their veterinary hospital is accredited by some kind of governing body. And they're not. Only 12 to 15 percent of veterinary hospitals go through an accreditation process. Wow! So that means if you, if your hospital has gone through AHA's accreditation process, they adhere to over 900 standards of veterinary excellence. And the big key here is that this is voluntary. So that means your veterinary team has chosen to open up their doors to have our evaluators come in and scrounge around and see how they practice, see how they take care of the animals, see how they run their business, how they keep it clean. So it's really a top-notch organization that really helps veterinarians take the best care possible of pets. And you and people can find if they have a hospital in their area that's accredited. They can go to aaha.org. So uh, aha aaha.org. Click on the hospital locator. Type in your zip code, and boof, you'll get a, a list of accredited hospitals in your area.
1: Awesome. That that's really great information. And the other thing that aha does, and we're going to get to it a little bit later, is you have an incredibly important microchip lookup tool, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. But before we get to that, I want to to make sure that folks, I'm sure a lot of folks listening think they think they, they know what a microchip is and how it works, but could you give us a high level uh, overview on the tech as uh, microchips
2: for pets? Yeah, so it is actually a tiny little implantable barcode. It, it looks like it's about the size of a grain of rice, and it uh, we insert it underneath the skin using a needle. Kind of, it's kind of a big needle, uh, but because you have to get a grain of rice in there, but the yeah. dogs and cats don't notice and. They uh, and so once it's in there, it's like your dog or cat or hamster or bird has a, a micro a um a barcode on them, and one of the things that a lot of people get confused about is it's at, they think it's a GPS, mm-hmm, okay. so they think that that barcode is somehow communicating with a satellite somewhere, and it's not. It's just like the barcode on the back of a cereal box at the grocery store. So it identifies. Um, the animal by a number, but it has to go through a scanner. It's And and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but it's not communicating with anything else outside the animal. Mm-hmm. But I do get a fair number of people who think that just because they have a microchip means that like we can just turn on a, a computer somewhere and track their animal. And that is not the case.
1: It's so funny you bring that up because actually later in the show, I am going to talk about the whole idea about GPS microchips and what's behind them Uh, and how they are future tech but that's so funny that you brought that up okay so once a pet has that microchip uh that work as you mentioned that the protecting is not done they're not magically we don't magically know where they are uh there's a lot that actually has to get to be done in order to make sure that the pet is properly protected so talk a little bit more about what has to happen after after the insertion
2: so somebody has to link up that now that barcode that's underneath the dog dog or cat skin it needs to actually be linked up to something because otherwise it's not helpful So um, you actually have to do some kind of paperwork or computer work to make sure that that the animal's linked up to a database somewhere. So every microchip has a company associated with it, and every company has a website and a database. So if a veterinarian is is, uh, applying it underneath the skin for you, they will either help you fill out the paperwork, fill them out themselves, or they'll just give you the paperwork and say, you need to, and the term we use is you need to register your pet. Because, and that that information goes to the pet microchip company and then it's kept in the database. But there's some upkeep associated with that. So this that part's not free. So to subscribe to not only be in the database, but to have somebody on the other end of the phone type in your pet's number when they're lost and then help them identify them later on, that costs money. So it depends on the different companies as to how much that subscription fee is. The one that I use is about $20 a year. And that, to me, is completely, totally worth it. Mm-hmm. But without registration, it's not helpful.
1: Yeah, and I think some people actually, when they when they adopt a pet or something like that, already comes with a microchip, they assume, that's it, I'm done. I don't have to do right. anymore. And they might at best think, oh, I need to update the information. But they're not thinking, oh, this is actually part of a subscription uh, and things like that. So it's important that people realize that you're not done when you leave the vet or the shelter after getting that done. It's really
2: important. And and then you're not like every year, there'll be a time frame. Every year you have to renew it. Otherwise, even though the pet's in their database... You may not be able to get access to that database, right. so that's what the money is for, which is, I think, is fair. I mean, there, there's there's yeah. time and technology that goes into that, so I think that fee is is worth it. Okay. for sure,
1: definitely. Now let's talk about uh, the the microchip lookup tool that Aha has. It is considered the gold standard uh, out there, and uh, it's a critical tool. But help people understand what the tool actually does.
2: Well, there are dozens and dozens of microchip companies. And so if I, if so say dog or cat is brought into my hospital, I will have a scanner. And the scanner is a little bit, it's about the size of a large iPhone. So like the 6S, right? Mm-hmm. And you scan that over the animal and then over top, the, a number will pop up. It'll beep. And then I, I'm going to get a somewhere between a nine and, and 16 digit number that will show up on the screen. Now what that doesn't tell me though is which database does that number belong to. So whose company is that microchip? So I can then so uh, that's not all that helpful. So but what I do be, when Aha is so proud of our our tool, I can take that giant number, go to aha.org, click on the microchip lookup tool and I can type in that number. And what that does is that gives me the company that the number is is linked to. So then, and there's a, and there'll be a phone number there to which number, uh, company to call, and then you call that number, and then, then that's when the whole subscription thing comes into play. So the microchip lookup tool, that part's free, mm-hmm. but the actual talking to someone on the other end of the phone to help you identify the pet and link you up to that pet, that's, what, that's the money part. That's the money part. But now, it's super important, because otherwise I just have a giant number on, a, on an animal, and I don't know you know, which company to call.
1: Right. Now, I, I was looking at, at the lookup tool, and I noticed there's a link there that says something about participating microchip and pet recovery services, and it occurred to me, when, as soon as I saw that, like, whoa, if they're not participating, then they're not going to be on this list, so what do I do? I mean, other than, like, looking up the list and seeing if my company is there, but what are there microchip companies that actually don't participate? What are they supposed there, to do?
2: There are. There are, so it's good to understand who, like, when you get the paperwork on your pet, it's good to understand whether or not they do participate in this. And some people will actually go ahead and get another microchip, like especially on one that applies to this company uh-huh. that, that, that is part of our microchip lookup tool. And there's nothing wrong with having two microchips. Now, it can get a little confusing, uh-huh. for sure, and then there'll be debates. Owner, It could be ownership debates about whose microchip it is and whose animal it belongs to. So I really recommend, you know, finding out whether or not your company's on there. And most uh, veterinary hospitals use this, use the companies that are on our list. Some shelters because of financial constraints will use microchips that are less expensive. Mm-hmm. And the reason that a lot of these companies, other companies aren't on our list is they don't always have the 24/7 monitoring, like person on the other end of the phone mm-hmm. to help you. So we do focus on customer service. We do focus on the quality of the database, um, and so it. It. But really, most of the companies are are on the microchip lookup tool. So if you've gone to a well-run shelter and, and a really any veterinary hospital, that should jive. It really should.
1: So that's one of those pitfalls with microchips for pets. Now, what are some other ones that are out there? Because you're going to hear like, oh, microchips. You know, these are the, the knocks on microchips. What are they, and what can be done to mitigate that?
2: Well, I, I alluded to one. Like if, if you end up having an animal that has two microchips. So so uh, animal is, uh, it was microchip when it was a, a baby. It gets lost. Nobody registered them in a, you know, in a database. So that animal, once it was found by the shelter, was now adopted out by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they re-microchip them. There there are actually legal battles that have gone on as to whose animal that is once the original owner is found. And what do you do with the fact that they've been microchipped two times? Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- that that's one of them. the The other one can be, you know, it it it's a small pitfall. I think is that it can hurt when when it's inserted initially. After you pull out the needle, though, they really don't care anymore. They really don't. Um, and those are kind of the, the only ones that I've really run into is, is confusion over ownership. And then just the fact, just like when you get a, a, you know, a vaccination yourself, it does pinch. But after that, you know, it's in there.
1: Right. Yeah. And and I think, too, just just the fact that you have to keep it up. It has to be part of your, yes. day, you know, your month, your yearly or whatever that ah, I've got to do this every year. If I move, I've got to update the microchip number and that sort of thing.
2: Uh, And there are and there's and there's actually there's Check the Chip Day. So in August every year, so there'll be big campaigns that go out to remind pet owners, hey, hey, your work's not done here. Have you moved? And then and you do need to, you know, go ahead and renew your subscription now.
1: Right. What about other? Now you hear these every now and then. I think some of it's a fair amount of fear mongering. But is there any legitimacy to the concerns that are out there about, like, say, cancer or stuff like that that might be caused by microchips? What are your
2: thoughts? No, not, I, there, I haven't seen any data that, to substantiate those issues. Now, now, the true data is that most animals, if they live long enough, do die of cancer. Mm-hmm. So the, there's people, and people want to know why and, and, and what's the, the underlying reason. And, you know, hopefully, you know, within my practice lifetime or maybe later on, we'll understand the, the genetics and the uh, the deep dive as to why cancer happens in general. But Probably not, but microchips are not associated with that. So there, there are some issues with, um, you know, there are a lot of different types of skin tumors in dogs and the microchips go under the skin so some people will c- kind of try to put two and two together there mm-hmm. but they the, co- the correlation is not, not there so correlation does not equal causation and I know my fellow geeks get that yeah, saying absolutely. so which I appreciate I absolutely appreciate so that is not that's not an issue I want people to worry about is cancer the the, the odds of them getting hurt or running away are much higher than them getting cancer from the microchip if even at all. And unfortunately, most animals, if they live long enough and are well taken care of and don't get injured or an infectious disease, it's preventable. You know, they do die of cancer. They just do. We've actually
1: talked about that here on the show. We had Jessica saying, talking about how, you're right, your veterinarian is one of the leading causes of cancer because your veterinarian helps keep your dog long enough, alive long enough to, to develop cancer, which just happens in senior dogs. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really great information.
2: Thanks for having me. It was a blast to be here. And I love the idea of keeping our pets healthy and happy. And do visit aha.org, A-H-A to see if you find, have an accredited hospital in your area.
1: Great, great stuff. Stay tuned, pet lovers. Up next, we're going to talk about external pet identification, the latest, greatest technology products that are out there to help them get home quickly should they get lost. That's up next on Pet Lover Geek on Voice America's Variety Channel.
3: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com.
4: What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet?
3: stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com
0: this is pet lover geek with laurian clemens if you'd like to connect with the show today please call us at 1-866-472-5788 Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Feeling shy? You can also send an email to PetLoverGeek at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, pet lovers. Today we're talking about pet identification in preparation for next week's National Pet ID Week. As we talked about in our last segment, microchips are a critical safety net for pets. They're also permanent. I mean, once they're injected into that pet, they're not going anywhere. But up next, we're going to talk about a few of the variable types of pet identification that are out there that can be worn externally. So let's talk about a good old fashioned personalized pet ID. They come in all sorts of styles, all kinds of sizes, and price ranges. Now, they can be everything from just a simple round disc of steel or aluminum, and it has etched or stamped with your dog's name or your cat's name and your primary phone number, to some really fancy schmancy jewelry types of tags that can cost you 20 30 even close to $100 if you're talking about something that actually has jewels in it. And there are, they're, all, they're all over the place. You can see them and you can get them in pretty much almost any pet store. There's also places that sell collars that use a similar concept. So your dog or your cat's name is printed or woven onto the collar along with your phone number. Now, these, both of these methods have been around for millennia and they're effective to be sure. But are they really the most effective external identification that you can use? Our next guest and good friend and frequent guest, uh, Tom Arnold, the founder and CTO of PetHub, doesn't think so. So he's here to chat with us about digital ID tags. Welcome back to the show, Tom.
5: Thanks, Laurie. Good to be back.
1: All right. Let's just dive on in. You started Pet Hub over seven years ago with the intention of changing the way people did pet identification. In fact, you felt compelled to leave your job at Microsoft to start Pet Hub. Why?
5: Well, um, actually, a couple of reasons. It it wasn't any one thing that, that caused it, but there were a couple of big things that caused it. One was I actually had a cat get out and it, it's an indoor-only cat, and she would never, ever go out. And, you know, I've heard people say this exact same thing to me forever. But something startled her, and she shot right out the door. And then I was instantly panicked, trying to figure out where to find a current photo of her. Um, you know, how do I, you know, who do I alert? What, what can I do? And um, f- fortunately, after about two days and lots of reading on the Internet, um, she returned to me um but the lessons i learned in that uh was that um a couple of things one once an animal goes missing and one in 3 in its lifetime will less than 2% of cats and under 20% of dogs return home again um and so that was terrifying to me um so that, that was one thing. The other thing was I went on a trip for Microsoft that went from a, a month long in India to three months long working on a project there. And to have an ID on my pet where I could continuously change the emergency contact information as different caretakers took care of my pets for me uh, would have been huge. And so that, those were the two main things was, was if I had a permanent phone number on there and I'm traveling, that's kind of hard to change. But if I had an ID tag that was somehow dynamic, um, that, would be, that would be critical. Kind of a long answer, but it was those two big things.
1: Well, that kind of speaks to uh, digital IDs in general. And I want you to first, I, uh, can you define for everybody that's listening um, what the difference between a digital ID tag is and, you know, the personal ID tag, like you said, that has a permanent phone number? What's the difference?
5: Well, the digital is basically bringing in the internet aspect or bringing in our mobile devices that we all carry around. So our ID tags, for example, have a bunch of different um, aspects to them, but they all link to an online profile that's free at pethub.com. For example, uh, a a unique web address or a URL um, that links to a specific ID on our website. And then we have a, a QR code. It's a Two-dimensional barcode that's engraved on the tag itself that can be scanned with uh, with a smartphone, um, and then uh, a phone number and things like that. And we've even we've made it so that as new technology comes out, we can actually easily adapt our tags to that, like NFC or Bluetooth and things like that.
1: Right. Okay. Um, so what what's like again? I I, I want to make sure that people understand. What's the benefit? I mean, so it's a, it's linking to an online profile. I mean, why, why does that matter? Why why not just have my my phone number on an ID right, tag? Right. Why do I need a <laughs> why do I need a QR code to link to my phone number? That's kind of silly.
5: Right. Thanks. Sorry, I get so caught up in the geekiness of it sometimes. <laughs> um, so, right. So the, the the nice thing, first of all, any you should just have a tag on your pet, no matter what. Hopefully, it's one of ours, but just get a tag on your pet um, with an. An older tag, it can only hold so much information like maybe my name and my phone number. But with one of these uh, digital tags uh, that's linking to an online profile like ours, the nice thing about that is we can have as many phone numbers on our pet's profile as we want. I can show the medications that my dog is taking. I can show their dietary needs. Um, I could show the pet sitter's phone number, vet's phone number, my neighbor's phone number, my wife's phone number, et cetera, et cetera. It has all this great information, including microchip license number and all that stuff, all right on the profile. And if I make changes anywhere on that profile, the ID tag is automatically updated because it's pointing to that profile, if that makes sense.
1: No, that that makes total sense. So the, really the benefit is I can have all this unlimited data that I can change. Like you said, if you're in India, for example, that cell phone number that you might have had etched on your pet's ID wasn't going to work. But now you can just change it to be the pet sitter's num- number, right? right? It's yeah.
5: dynamic instead of static data.
1: But you know, I'm sure you meet people all the time who are like, ah, who needs that? It's so not necessary. <laughs> you know, why? And, and they might also say, nobody's going to know what to do with that digital tag. I mean, what do you say? Or what was Pet Hub's solution, I guess, to that?
5: Well, so two things. When we actually have an animal that um, is called into our, our our call center, we have a free 24 by 7 call center. I cannot tell you how many times that we, our call center starts calling down that list of phone numbers to try and reach somebody um, who, who knows this pet and they're not answering the phone because they don't recognize the phone number or they're out, they're at work or whatever. So as far as having just a single phone number on a tag and they say, oh, I always answer my phone. Well, no, they don't. And so that's what's nice about having the 5, 10 phone numbers on there because then eventually we do reach somebody who knows that animal and then we're getting them home super fast. Uh, but as far as, is, you know, what if I don't know what to do with that web address or that Two dimensional barcode that you mentioned. Well, that's why we put a phone number on there. And that's a free phone number to a free 24 by 7 call center that I just mentioned. And that's why we have it.
1: Right. That, that, and that makes perfect sense to me. Now, um, you've got a brand new product out called the Sit Kit, and it's taking digital pet identification even further. So tell me a little bit about that.
5: Oh, yeah, this is really cool. Um, So for all the times I've actually had people say, well, my pet never leaves the house or never leaves the yard, things like that, I I started asking, well, what happens if you're here at work? Because your dog's home, that's great, or your cat's at home. You're at work and then you're out at lunch or you're driving somewhere to get groceries and somebody hits you or something happens to you. Um, How do people know that you actually have an animal at home? Um, so what we do is we have what's called a wallet card, and that goes in your wallet that you can actually link to the exact same profile that your pet's ID tag links to so that you can alert first responders like uh, you know an EMT or a paramedic or a, a firefighter or a police officer that there is, some, there is another uh, four-legged family member at home that needs attention and needs assistance while you're getting the assistance you need. So it can kick off your network, your emergency network for your pet, while you're being taken care of. Um, so that's one thing is, this, is the wallet card. We also have a crate card that goes onto the crate or the kennel for the animal. Again, links to the exact same profile for the pet, so you just update it in one place. And then we have a window cling that goes on the window of your house, so you can let first responders know how many animals are in your house. So if there's something going on, they can uh, do their best to help them as well.
1: I can see that this would be so important for like you know, emergency preparedness. So, you, know, all, you know, whether you live in hurricane territory or earthquake territory or fires, tornadoes, it just seems like this is the kind of thing that you can have all of that stuff just prepared and ready to go for Absolutely. all of those worst case scenario things. I think. Well,
5: exactly. Because <laughs> I was talking to some of these shelters, and one of their biggest struggles they have is when an animal comes in to the shelter, and the and the homeowner has has had to leave them behind they don't have any information like any paperwork on the animal. You know, what? when was it vaccinated last for rabies? Um, you know, what's this license number, right? microchip number, emergency contact, so they can try and get this animal back with their, with their uh, guardian. So that's why when we've spoken with a lot of these Office of Emergency Management folks, they're saying this is awesome because the animal is coming with all of their documentation with them. And if you are safely away, you can update the profile of the pet to say, here's the phone number that I'm at now. And right. you can hide and show information that you want to show based on the situation.
1: Right. Okay. I want to switch up things a little bit. We only have a couple more minutes. But um, you know, you mentioned Bluetooth and NFC a little bit earlier. But uh, I know from uh, not only just an insider's perspective, but just knowing the history about PetHub, uh, though you've experimented with those other technologies, you're not actually have products out there right now that use that tech, and frankly, some of that tech's a bit sexier and newer than QR, so why aren't you currently using tech like NFC and Bluetooth?
5: Well, we definitely filed our patents a few years ago on those. Uh, the problem with Bluetooth is it's not; it's still developing, and there are times where uh, Bluetooth will drop a signal and then reestablish, and it's just part of the way that they've defined the protocol, And the problem there is that it reports that the animal's gone missing when it, in fact, might still be sitting next to you. The problem with NFC or near-field communication, that's actually, if you ever see somebody pay for something by tapping a credit card on one of those credit card readers, that's using a little NFC chip. The problem with that is a lot of people don't know what it is, and they don't know that that's in some of the newer phones. So we're going to bring that back to life at some point, but we've shelved it for the moment because why add that extra expense to a tag when people aren't even sure what what it is yet, right. so we're going for the more visual things.
1: Sure, and, and, and honesty I don't even think I think Apple was going to do its own NFC, but then they dropped it or something. I'm not quite sure what's going on with that. So, all right, cool. So, tell people how they can get a PetHub ID tag.
5: Well, they can go to pethub.com/free tag or just pethub.com and uh, visit our shop.
1: Fantastic! Thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it.
5: Thanks, Lauren. Always a pleasure.
1: Fantastic. Now, up next, we're going to be talking with an expert from the ASPCA about lost pet prevention and the role pet identification plays in that. So sit, stay, and wait for more treats coming up next on Pet Lover Geek.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station
4: Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Conservation starts with us. Learn about
3: environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves.
0: This is Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. If you'd like to connect with the show today, please call us at one 472 5788 Again, that's one 472 5788 Feeling shy? You can also send an email to PetLoverGeek at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, pet lovers. Next up on the show, I have Dr. Emily Weiss from the ASPCA. Dr. Weiss is a certified applied animal behaviorist, and she's the vice president of research and development for the ASPCA. Now, last December, Dr. Weiss penned a blog post that I believe should be required reading for all pet parents. Called, But Bella Could Have Been Home by Dinner, you can find this blog post on the ASPCA Pro website. It's a really important read, and it really goes to what we're talking about today with pet identification. The Post tells the story of a Florida dog who was reunited with her family because of her microchip after being lost for three years. Now, certainly, this type of story is incredible, and it's one of those things that the media just laps them up. They just love these types of stories, and they certainly attest to the incredible importance and value of micro. Chips. But the story has another side. Why did it take so long for this reuniting of family members to happen? So, Dr. Weiss has some important thoughts on that. She shares them in the blog post. We're hoping that she shares them with him today on this show. So, welcome to Pet Lover Geek, Dr. Weiss. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Really excited to have you here. I've actually been thinking about this blog post since last December when it came out, and I, I knew that this show was coming up in April to talk about pet identification. It's been on my mind to have you on. So let's just jump right in. What is important about IDing your pet? I mean, what what is the base recommendations? Is it microchip, obviously, but what else? I mean, clearly the microchip here worked, but after three years.
6: Yeah, so uh, we strongly um, uh, advocate for a personalized ID tag, and that that being the primary way in which we can most quickly reunite pets with their people. Uh, a microchip we um, think is incredibly important as well, but it's our backup. <laughs> it's like our backup generator. Uh, and if an ID tag falls off, then the microchip is, is a great backup. But... The general public, the person who's likely to find e- e- the lost dog or cat, doesn't have a microchip reader.
5: Mm-hmm. They do
6: have, um, in most cases, they have eyes, and um, they're able to read an, a personalized ID tag, and and that h- takes care of so much of the system and the, uh, to get that animal home because all it takes is a phone call.
1: Right, and uh, you guys and have you done some, about imp- about- you've done some important research. I mean, th- there was a a study that you did with the ASPCA uh, about identification tags and things like that right
6: yeah we've done several studies around um lost pets and um and around id tags and one of the studies we did was a a national survey where we just wanted to learn more about id tagging and how why more people weren't tagging their pets Mm -hmm. and One of the questions we asked them is how important do you think it is for a dog or cat to always wear a personalized ID tag? The vast, vast majority of them said very or extremely important. Those very same people, we then asked them if they had a personalized tag on their pet right now. Mm
5: -hmm.
6: Only 33% of them did. Um, There's a big disconnect between belief and behavior when it comes to ID tags, but that's actually as an animal behaviorist, you know, we find that (laughs) in all sorts of human behavior, be it uh, recycling or maybe, uh, like many of us, updating the battery in our smoke detectors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're supposed to do it once a year. We know it, but chances are we're not doing it. Uh, and, and so that disconnect was an important piece for us. We know people um, want to do it, but they're not doing it. And, and looking for ways in which we can increase that. that yeah, uh, and- is an important point.
1: Yeah, and to your point about the, the the fire alarm, it's something that never really struck me. Uh, I didn't think too much about it until my own parents had a, home fi- a, home fi- a house fire and lost everything that was inside and thankfully got out alive themselves. But now I'm obsessive about it. And so until you've actually had a dog that's been lost, it, it's not something that really hits home. And yeah, oh yeah, I know it's important, but like you said, 33%. Uh, had the ID tags, everybody else didn't. So what would you say to pet parents that say, well, you know, I only put his collar and tag on when we're going for a walk, or I only use it when we're on, you know, on the road on vacation? What would you say to them?
6: Uh, I would say in a polite setting, I would say stuff happens, um, and meaning that, look, we can't anticipate when um, a pet might get lost. And in fact, another one of our studies looked at just that, is, is um, asking folks uh, to tell us, uh, for those who did lose their pet, did they lose the pet in a way that they would have anticipated their pet could get lost? And the majority of them said no, that this was something that they would never even have thought of. Mm-hmm. So that. That component is, is, is really powerful in making sure that we can um, uh, increase the likelihood that, that folks are putting ID tags on, on their pets. A lot of it comes to you, but you you never know. So taking that collar off, the collar should never come off. I mean, I, I'm incredibly paranoid about this in my own pets. And even if I'm bathing them, I, I, leave, I leave their collars on and, and make sure they have their tag on because that, that one moment is going to be the moment that, that they're not wearing it. And, and then I'm just hoping against hope that somebody finds that pet and, and um, gets him to somebody who can read his microchip. And, and I right. you know that doesn't always happen.
1: Well, because if you're relying on the microchip only, you're relying on so much to go right, that they have to know to take them to a vet or a shelter, that they have to, when they do scan it, that that, the scans be done properly, uh, and that the, you know, all of these different things have to go right in order for the microchip to go home. So why wouldn't you always have that ID tag on there when that's a sure bet uh, to get that pet home? Now, you mentioned, um, you know, when you're, that people say, there's a lot of different reasons that they would have never imagined. So what are some of those reasons that that pets get lost in the first place to kind of give people an idea to say, whoa, yeah, I never thought of that.
6: Uh, well, one very common is somebody simply leaving a door or a gate open, a serviceman coming, somebody coming, um, leaving doors or gates open. You know, you mentioned a fire earlier, fires, emergencies in the home when so- somebody needs to uh, to come in urgently, might not be thinking about that pet. Uh, Leashes breaking um, is another um, potential. Uh, windows being left open for, for cats is another one. Um, you know, pets get lost in all sorts of situations, disasters when... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we know something, we have to get out urgently, uh, all of these things are, are ways in which pets can get, can get lost.
1: Yeah, that's, that goes to what uh, our guest, it was John, just before you was talking about with the emergency preparedness kits that they do for identification. It's really about getting your pet home quickly is, is more about being prepared before it happens than it is about what happens after, Right. Absolutely,
6: and, and we at the ASPCA, knowing that, knowing that even just finding your individual pet and having the right strategies to do that is so important, being prepared beforehand. Um, the ASPCA has, has an app for that, and um, it allows you to input all of your information about your pet, the pictures, um, every, every relevant piece of information but also should your pet get lost, you can put in information about that pet, his behavior, is he likely to be shy, is he likely to be a bold dog or cat, and then get a, a personalized plan to help you find your pet and most expediently find your pet. Hopefully uh, he had his ID tag on and, and your neighbor has found him for you, uh, but just in case uh, we have the tools to help him get back home.
1: That's great. And so th- that goes to, okay, you've done everything that you should have done prepared wise, hopefully, but the pet gets lost. One of the great tools that you, you just mentioned is your app uh, to help them figure out what are some of the strategies for finding it. Can you give us an idea about that? Like what they should do if they've they lost their pets? What are those some of those strategies that are out there?
6: Well, you know, it's different for dogs than it is for cats. But one of the most important things for dogs or cats is, is getting the word out and talking to, to, to your neighbors, so those um, closest to you. That's, chances are your pet is right there in the neighborhood, especially um, if you get out there quickly. And that's our first piece of advice. Don't wait. Um, if your pet is lost, get out there immediately. For cats... Cats tend to hide, and and they really do tend to stay close. And um, looking under um, and behind and inside garages are places in which cats um, will often hide. And uh, making sure that you... Uh, are searching where you can't um, easily see. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dogs, on the other hand, are going to be much more visible, and um, and making sure that you're uh, uh, transecting um, uh, between blocks and um, getting posters up, knocking on doors, is one of the best ways to help assure you get your pet home.
1: Awesome. So, so we've talked a little bit about preventing with uh, ID tags and identification and microchips and things like that. What other preventive measures can a pet owner take that maybe aren't with the IDs, but since we're talking about lost pets, what other preventive measures can they take to keep their pets safe at home and make sure that they don't get loose in the first place?
6: Well, you know, we talked about those, leaving those gates and doors open, um, making sure that those latches are all secure. Always checking your, um, your equipment. So if your, do- if your dog is going out on a leash, check that, that clasp and make sure that the, the leash is in good shape. If your cat's going out on the harness, same thing. Um, Double-checking the, the regular collar so that you know that the collar is on well and that your ID tag information is up to date. Um, having a good, solid recall so that when you call your dog, he comes back is probably one of the most valuable tools you can have for canines, and um, believe it or not, you can teach many cats that as well. Uh, but being able to have a cue that your dog or cat comes back to you very reliably can help save, especially in, in situations where the, the dog is, or cat is panicked and is running because of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Now tell everybody where they can go to find out more information from the ASPCA because you guys have an incredible wealth of uh, great content out there for this topic. Where, where should they go?
6: All they need to go to is just ASPCA.org. Uh, and there's a great search tool in there, and you can um, find all the information about our app, about um, lost pets, about ID tags. They're all right available there for you.
1: Fantastic. And they can also find your wonderful post from last year. Just as a reminder, that post was called, But Bella Could Have Been Home by Dinner. It speaks to many of the things that Dr. Weiss just shared with us today. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate your insight. Really important stuff, folks. And I want you to hang tight because for the last segment I'm going to get up on my soapbox, and you don't want to miss it. I am going to talk about the fictions that are out there about GPS microchips. You don't want to miss that. So hang tight. We'll be back in just a moment with more Pet Lover Geek on Voice America's Variety Channel.
3: Phenomenon. (laughs) All right, never mind. (laughs) That's every Saturday at 2 p.m. Pacific time right here on the Voice America Variety Channel.
4: Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or Blackberry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, Blackberry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Stimulating
3: talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: This is Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. If you'd like to connect with the show today, please call us at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's one 472 5788 Feeling shy? You can also send an email to PetLoverGeek at gmail.com. Now, back to
1: the show. Welcome back to Pet Lover Geek. We're gabbing today about pet identification. We've talked about microchips. We've talked about personalized tags and collars. We've talked about digital ID tags. Now, one method of identification we haven't talked about is tattooing. Generally, this is done on the inner thigh of the pet, and it's certainly permanent. And I suppose if you are 100% certain that your primary phone's number will never change, then it might be a good option for you. I say might because I'm really not a big fan of tattooing. There's a few drawbacks in my opinion. The pet needs to be put underneath anesthesia to get it done. You probably could get it done while they're getting another procedure because I'm sure that no vet is ever going to do this without uh, having them under some kind of anesthesia. At the very least, it'd be a sedative and local anesthesia because tattooing hurts do not believe what people tell you when they say it doesn't hurt or it just tickles I have four tattoos myself and none of them tickled but I also worry about the healing process even with my smallest tattoo it ached and burned like a really bad sunburn for almost a week it's not something that I would want to inflict on my pets I suppose the counter to that would be, yeah, it hurts a little bit to heal, but then it is permanently on your pet and it doesn't have to be registered like a microchip. You don't have to pay a subscription fee or anything. So I can see why folks would want to do it. That said, it's on the inside of the animal's thigh. And I just don't think that many good Samaritans are gonna go looking for that. Plus it exposes the belly, something that most scared animals are not gonna wanna show. So that increases the danger of a dog biting the person that finds them or a cat scratching them. And that could lead to a whole other pile of bad things. And another thing, tattoos fade and they become fuzzy. So it might be difficult to read after a few years and you'd have to get more ink applied to keep it looking good and sharp. And finally, at the end of the day, it's a single phone number, folks. That's the same the same reasons that a single phone number on an ID tag or a caller would apply here. It's not a good idea to just have one phone number be the good for everything. I really recommend have multiple sources of emergency contacts as the pet's identification. So you could do tattooing, I suppose, as a, a backup, but I would not use it as the main method. I want to spend the the last bit of time that we have debunking a myth that Dr. Linzer brought up earlier in the show. She mentioned that people believe that microchips are GPS devices. No, they're not GPS devices. And no, GPS microchips do not exist. And frankly, it might be years before they do. Let me break it down for you. So I know that it seems impossible with all the crazy, amazing technology that exists today that a GPS microchip hasn't been invented yet. I mean, GPS has been operational for 30 years. Microchips and animals have been around for about 40 years. So what's the holdup, scientists? Why haven't you geeks uh, invented this yet? Don't you know that it is the answer to ending lost pets once and for all? Well, like everything in life, it's not that simple. We gotta take a step back and look at the two technologies that are involved and then talk about what's gonna be necessary for the two of them to get hitched. Let's start with GPS. It stands for Global Positioning System. It's a U.S. government-owned satellite-based system that provides folks with PNT. That stands for Positioning, Navigation, and Timing. It's a free system. It's open source, and it's pretty darn dependable. The government is committed to maintaining at least 24 operational GPS satellites at least 95% of the time. In fact, 31 uh, are in operation right now. Now, these bad boys... Orbit the Earth twice a day in MEO, that's medium Earth orbit, which is about 12,000 miles above sea level. 24 of them need to be operational at any time. So at any time of day, pretty much anywhere on the planet, uh, you'll be able to know where you are. All four of these 24 devices are constantly transmitting two low-power radio signals. We use one. The government uses the other one. And they each hold three pieces of data. A pseudo-random code that is basically telling you which of the 24 satellites is sending the data. Ephemeris data, that is the date and time, as well as the health of the particular satellite. And then almanac data. And that's basically giving you an exact location of where that satellite is supposed to be in orbit at that given time. That's all those satellites do. They just continually blip out those three data points to those two specific radio frequencies. Now, here's the thing. Those satellites in the sky aren't actually having a conversation with us. They don't even know we exist. They are just continually broadcasting those three data points to two radio frequencies. And we humans, or in this case pets, have to be carrying tools that, not own, that are not really connecting with GPS satellites, but they are listening to the broadcast of those radio frequencies. These tools, like devices like our smartphones or a GPS dog collar, they're called receivers, And row receivers listen to the data transmitted from at least three of those satellites to calculate and using triangulation to figure out the three-dimensional position in time and space where we are so we can be told where we exist right now on this planet. Now, one thing that's needed to make this GPS communication system work in concert is that you have to have power, electricity. There has to be a battery involved. Think back to a time when your iPhone or your Android was navigating you somewhere and the battery drained really quickly. And then when you touched the phone, it was kind of warm, even hot. That's a sign of how much power is being used in order to communicate with those satellites or not communicate, but listen and, and uh, you know, convert the information from those satellites into your location. There has to be quite a bit of electricity in order to take that jumble of RF signals out there and get the exact location of the receiver. Now, imagine that kind of heat being inside your animal. There is a biocompatibility issue going on here. That's one thing to think about. Next, we talked about earlier in the show, a microchip is about the size of a grain of rice. So think about how big GPS devices are out there right now the smallest one I've seen is the size of like a really big grape and it has to be recharged every few days because the battery runs out it's, it needs an electricity source to work but it has to be a continual or rechargeable electricity sh- source which brings me to a scam that came out a f- few years ago that I think helps make people believe that GPS microchips are a real thing you might have heard about this Kickstarter campaign a little over a year and a half ago from a new company that claimed to have invented and filed multiple patents on what we've all been waiting for—a GPS tropical tropical uh, excuse me trackable microchip. Woohoo! Well, not so fast. Make your own judgment here, but the campaign never finished launching. The website is now down. The Facebook page went silent after unrelated fraud charges against the company's owner, who is also an actress and a comedian under a different name, became public, and she pled guilty to those charges. So, yeah, it was a fraud. But wait, there's more. The technology that they claim to use in these magical chips is actually a real thing that might one day be used to help track pets. I think that's why people believed it. However, that tech is still being developed in the lab by some uber smart, crazy lab scientists all over the world. And it's not even close to being ready to be used by us mere mortals. The new Chip Company claimed to be using piezoelectric nanogenerator technology. It is crazy cool, and it has tremendous potential, but it is not out of the lab. Let's talk a bit about the tech. That phrase, piezoelectric nanogenerator, literally means a generator for electricity that is 100 nanometers small, super duper teeny tiny. And it uses squeezing motions to create electricity. Basically, it's a wee device that converts kinetic movement energy into electrical energy. So when your dog moves, it would be creating the electricity needed for the GPS. Super cool, right? Absolutely. Something that eventually will make its way into technology to make our furry friends safe, but not yet. I'd say it's a really good bet that that is the type of technology that will be used once it's been refined and is ready for wider use and application outside the science lab. But do some due, due diligence yourself. Do a Google search for piezoelectric nanotechnology. And after just browsing a couple articles, I think it'll be clear. It's an awesome, crazy tech with tremendous promise, but it is not ready to put in animals yet. Okay, that's all I have time for today. If you want to read the full version of my GPS microchip rant on PetLoverGeek.com, it's a three-part blog series called No Virginia GPS Microchips Do Not Exist. Please check it out. And we'll see you next Saturday here as we're going to dig deep into science and technology for our lovely pets here on Pet Lover Geek on Voice America's Variety Channel. See you next week.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week for Pet Lover Geek.